Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, man, that was, yeah, that's, that's going to get me going. Thank you. I feel so inspired now with that good morning. Good morning, everyone. There we go. I knew it was there. We just got to pull it out. I love the two questions. Um, the one, um, I think the one was, was it Chris, what has you excited? Yeah. And then the other is what challenges? Okay. I'm, man, I'm really going to talk to you about both this morning. Um, I'm an excitable person, so I got to watch myself a little bit. They said I had two hours to talk to you all, so I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm prepared to talk as much as possible. Um, I got to update my bio. I've been married for 16 years as of April the 30th. So I need to update that a little bit. And I do have six beautiful children, all because they don't look like me. They look like my wife. And so they got the best side of it. But let me tell you first about a challenge that hit me. um, Man, I want to say February 28th. Okay, on February 27th, I woke up at 103 degree temperature. And so my wife, Stacy, man, immediately said, listen, you're going to get tested. And a good, you know, like a good husband, I said, man, I don't have COVID. I don't need to go get tested. It's just not going to happen. Right. That didn't happen to me. And so we went somewhere. Of course, uh, you know, I was obedient. I was sitting in the passenger seat as she drives me over to Barberton to take this test at a local CVS. And it was one of those that we're going to get back in about two to three days. Okay, so. Friends were texting like, hey, and I was like, oh, man, I don't have this. Like, oh, man, you're negative. And I'm like, no, I'm just speaking those things that are not as though they were. Right. I don't have it. And so come to find out the next day I did. I tested positive for COVID on February the 28th. That was a Sunday. And so before I felt any type of sickness, the first thing that I felt was shame. That was the first thing I felt was shame because I had to now make those phone calls. Right. Because I was with people that week and we were with some friends at their house on Friday night. So now you got to you got to kind of make that call. It's the it's it's the it's the call of shame, if you will. So now I got to tell people that, hey, I test positive for covid and they took it really well. They took it really great. Like it was like, hey, man, are you okay? But there was one in particular person that, hey, well, well, were you sick when you was with me? And almost kind of like doing these accusations. So it, it didn't help where I was at. Okay. But then I felt like, man, I felt ashamed because I brought this into my house with my six kids. I felt really bad. So I heard you all talking about something that you're going to do and there's chainsaws this and third. Well, hey, in the fall, please bring those same chainsaws to my house because we bought the side lot and I got a lot of trees I got to cut down. So if you guys can do that for me, I'd appreciate it. Now, luckily for me, our house is about 4000 square feet. So I was able to quarantine down 
in our master bedroom that's down in our basement that we renovated. And so as this is going on, I tested positive on Sunday and all week, man, I had a fever, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, couldn't do all these different type of things. And so on the seventh day, I was finally able to sleep. I was finally able to rest. Praise God for that. Right. And so as I'm sitting there resting, you know, and I'm noticing, man, I'm sweating a little bit. But, you know, when you're sweating, man, I had a fever all week. So my fever broke. Right. That's the old school method. My fever broke. Right. And so Stacy, my wife, tells me after the fact, she was like, yeah, I just kept coming down and checking on you because, man, you were just sweating so profusely. And she was like, I was just concerned about you. And so I'm kind of in and out, in and out, in and out. I didn't know that my wife is, had left. My youngest daughter, Ashlyn, comes down and she says, Dad. And I get upset with her. Why? Because she woke me up. I hadn't been able to sleep restfully all week. Stacy tells me after, she's like, well, I had her do that because I wasn't there because she was out based on the advice of her primary care physician to say, hey, listen, you need to take Kemp's vitals. So in a matter of an hour, my wife turns into a medical professional. She, she's got a blood pressure cuff on me, the little thing on my finger. And lo and behold, I was laying in my bed dying and didn't realize it. My oxygen levels were low 80s. The primary care physician says, hey, he is declining and you need to get him to the hospital. So my wife calls my brother, not, not my blood brother, but a brother in the faith, like you all are, and said, hey, could you get him there? So she wakes me up and says, hey, we, we need to get you dressed. And I'm still kind of in and out, and she says, hey, we got to get you to the hospital. So lo and behold, I go to the hospital. I don't know how serious it is until I get there. I end up being on oxygen for three days. Three days in the hospital, no guests, no visitors. The only people that's visited me is the nurse, the doctors, and the people that clean the room. God bless them. Wrote all their names down, because that was the only company I had. So I had to make some friends in some unusual spaces and places. And so I talked to her after the fact because I'm really just enamored by her, about what it took for her to do what she did because here's kind of the, the thing about that story. I told you before that I was down in the basement where we renovated our master bedroom. But two years before that, her sister was living with us and she died unexpectedly in that same room. And my wife was the one trying to revive her with CPR. And so I said, she came and picked me up. And my wife is not like me. My wife's an introvert. She don't talk. She's kind of more of an observer. And, you know, she'll tell me when she hears me speak, she'll tell me if I did good or bad. That's my measurement stick, right? <laughs> she told me I did good, man. Like, oh, man, all the heavens are parted, right? But if she just says, oh, it was good, it was all right. And I'm like, oh, man, let me go get some work in. But it was a thing where I needed to know and I wanted to process with her, how did she do what she did? Because she didn't call the ambulance. She didn't do that. And I said, well, why didn't she? She's like, I didn't want to scare the kids. And so I'm like, okay, how in that moment did you process everything that was going on with me, 
protect our children so they didn't get scared, but handle yourself with so much composure, even though your husband's laying there dying. It had to bring up those old memories of your sister, Melissa, two years before in the exact same spot and same place. And she said this to me and it blew me away. She said, well, I think it's in Romans, but it says all things work together for our good. And she said, I believe what happened then prepared me to save your life now. Come on now. Come on. And so when I think about what I'm excited about, I'm excited about the challenge that I had and what I learned in the perspective that I got. Because for the month of March, man, I was out, I was in the bed, I was in the hospital and didn't do a lot and wasn't doing a lot. And so I've come across, anybody ever read the book, A Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day? Good man. <laughs> not that everybody's not a good man in here, right? I just started that, and the thing about it is I'm, I'm trying to get out of reading things, and I want to study it. Because it's such a powerful story. Let me just, let me just read you some, some, just some highlights here for a second. God is in the business of strategically positioning us in the right place at the right time. But the right place often seems like the wrong place. Anybody agree with that? <laughs> and the right time often seems like the wrong time. Goodness is not the absence of badness. You can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. How does that work? I didn't do nothing wrong, but it still ain't right, Lord. You can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. Our calling is much higher than simply running away from what's wrong. We are called to chase lions. We, all of us, are called to chase lions. And what does this mean by chasing lines? Look for opportunities in our problems and our obstacles. This is what I realized Stacy had done. She was chasing a lion. She saw the opportunity in the problem of her husband laying there in the bed dying. Now, I really think she saved me simply because she didn't want to waste six kids on her own now. I asked, the verdict's still out on that. I believe she loves me, but it was more like, man, you ain't going to leave with these six kids on my own. But she took advantage of an opportunity that was before her or a problem or an obstacle, right? It was still a problem. It was still something that was detriment, still something hard. But within that hardness, there was an opportunity. And so as we look for these opportunities in our problems and in our obstacles and we take risks to reach God's best. Listen to this now. When we don't have the guts to step out in faith and chase lions, then God is robbed of the glory that it rightfully belongs to him. Man, that made my knees buckle the first time I read that. When we don't have the guts to step out in faith and to chase those lions, then we rob God. 
I never saw it that way. I never saw that I was robbing God of his glory because of my own thinking and to my own detriment. And so when you think about how do we do this, what does this look like? Because I don't want to rob God. And this story was based on a story in the Bible in 2 Samuel with um, Benaniah. Benaniah was a man who was one of David's mighty men. Man, I get excited about that, man. I, man, what would it be like to be in that crew? Right? I mean, just them, man, you're talking about the best of the best. But it talks about how Ben and I, he has this great exploits of the things that he's done. You know, he, he's killed a couple of gazelles. He's killed some other people, and some other men that, that, that were from, um, let me see, let me see here, let me see. They were from, they were Egyptian. But the, but the thing that he did that I can't understand is found in the 20th verse where it says, he also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. I don't understand why. But what's, what's a mind-blowing thing is one thing to, to kill the lion, right? But he actually thought about, hey, I'm going to go down in the pit to go and get him. On a snowy day. We know about snow a little bit here in Northeast Ohio, correct? We know the snow's not comfortable. We know that if we ain't got the right shoes on or some boots on, that we're going to slip a little bit. Now, here's the thing about Benaiah. That day, he didn't have any rock ports, right? He didn't have any type of boots, man. I, I would assume he had some sandals on a snowy day, meaning that he didn't have sandals on with socks either. So he went down into the pit to chase this lion and not just to chase him, but to kill him, but to slay him. So it brings me back to my own situation of asking myself this question. What lions am I running from that I should be chasing? What lions am I running from that I should be chasing? Now, Chris told you in my bio that I'm the head football coach over at Kimmore Garfield High School. I'm coming up on my eighth season. And the truth of the matter is, I was looking to run away from that situation. It's hard coaching in the inner city. I don't have a lot of resources. We haven't run a lot of games. Because, you know, as a coach, man, that's, that's the ultimate outcome, right, is the scoreboard. I got to win. I got to win because if I ain't winning, man, then, you know, then you hear from the crowd, you hear from the community, hear from all types of people. And so because all these things were happening, what I began to do is I began to look for a way out. I began to look for a way out of that situation. Yeah, I believe God brought me into that situation. We live in that community. We've done a lot of good things in that community. We serve because it's ministry for us. But man, I want to tell you right now, Three, four months ago, I was looking for a way out because I'd had enough. I'd had enough. I didn't want to be in that pit no more. Because the lion that I was trying to slay, it was too hard. It was too difficult. 
Everywhere I went, there was problems. There were situations. Man, kids are ineligible. Man, I got kids getting shot. The violence is crazy. I got kids doing all these things. And I'm like, man, I just need to get out because I just want to coach somewhere, man, where kids understand how great of a coach that I am and they want to just come and play. <laughs> come on now. I'm, I, hey, listen. The one thing you're going to get from me, and this is my leadership style, I am a hot leader, not in how great I look, but I also want to remain humble, open, and transparent. So that's what I'm going to be with you this morning. My ego began to tell me I'm no longer, this place is no longer good enough for me. I need to go to a place that is blessed and good enough to have my services. That's where I was. And so I no longer was chasing the lion, but I was actually running from the lion. And in passages of scripture, we, we hear about a lion, right? We hear about this lion in, in 1 Peter, I think it's 5 and 18, where it says, be sober-minded and vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that roar began to scare me and I began to run from it. So as I'm running from or trying or to attempt to run from a situation because it's gotten hard, it's gotten difficult. Man, I'm not getting the results that I want, right? Because the way we judge success, right, is by how many games we won. But really, the way that God judges success is how well you steward in the situation that he brought you into. Am I stewarding that well? And really it's making the best of a situation exactly where I'm at. But I was too caught up with looking at, man, but I know the grass is greener over there. I won't have those problems over there. I won't have those challenges over there because, man, I'm, I'm tired of dealing with it. I'm tired of losing kids to private schools because, man, it's a better situation. Man, let me go into the private school as well. So I was running from something. See, I wasn't being like Benaiah who was like, no, man, I'm going to go down into this pit. And not only am I going to face this lion, I'm going to chase him down, but I'm going to slaughter him and I'm going to kill him. I'd left that. Why? Because I'd let the adversary. I stopped being sober minded. See, soberness happens one of two ways. Yeah, it happens by... The intoxication of different substances, illegal, maybe even legal substances, right? But also, we lose our sober-mindedness when we begin to turn our thinking inwardly on ourselves. And I was no longer sober-minded. Because all I thought about was Kemp and what I wanted and what I wanted to do. And I, and I was beginning to run away from something. But see, this experience that I went through in March began to shift and change my perspective. Because, see, in the word of God, it, it, it talks about another lion. It describes this lion of being courageous, bold, a symbol of just courage and a protector. And that's the lion of Judah. And so what I realized is. I'm not running from the devil. 
I'm actually running from the line of Judah because he's called me to a place. And so I'm running from Jesus. And I'm like, man, that took on a different role when, man, I said, I got to get back in the seat of chasing him in this situation. I got to chase this lion. And it's the line of Judah that I'm chasing in this situation that I'm in. Because, see, when you walk by the posture of not knowing what you don't know, you have no one else to rely on but him. But, see, I stopped chasing him. I stopped chasing that lion, meaning that I stopped looking for opportunities. I stopped looking. I was looking at my my problems, not as opportunities, but as problems. Things I didn't want to deal with anymore. But see, here's the thing, brothers. We all have a lion that we need to be chasing. Yeah, I think that lion is Jesus. But also, I don't know the lions that are in your life. That maybe you've been running from from a long time. So I'm going to tell you right now, there's lines in my life that I've been running from. There's lines in our life that we're running from, not only individually, but also corporately within the body of Christ. The things that we're running from. And hey, this might make us a little bit uncomfortable. But we're running from the discussion that involves race right now in our country as the body of Christ. We don't want to talk about it. It's, you know why we don't talk? Because it's messy. And if we're being honest, none of us want to really get messy, so we don't chase that lion. And so that lion is allowed, the, the, the enemy is allowed to roam around us, manipulating us, telling us that we don't need to talk about it. And we don't chase the line of Judah when it comes to this, because why? Jesus is the one, according to Paul, who tore down the wall of hostility between us. He tore it down once and for all. But we say, well, if Jesus already did, it, if he already took care of it, then why do we need to talk about it? Why? Because he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. We have to continue the reconciling work of Jesus. See, that's chasing the lion. I'm chasing the ways of him. I'm chasing his attitude, his characteristics. Why? Because I'm an image bearer of his. I look like him. I look like daddy. I look like my elder brother. We got to chase these lions and we get hindered from chasing the lions because there's things that we have to develop within ourselves. There's skills that I had to develop. And these skills, man, let me tell you, they're, they're, they're not easy. We have to develop a skill of defying the odds and risk looking foolish. Define the odds and we have to risk looking foolish. Losing a football game 60 to nothing is not a glamorous thing. But am I willing to look foolish? Not that I am, but from a worldly perspective, am I willing to look foolish? Another skill that I have to that I have to develop that we all have to develop is being able to face our fears. I have to be able to face the fears that I do have. What, what's scaring me? What's, what's causing me to not chase a lion and to run from that lion? Because here's the thing. When that brother got down in that pit, I'm sure there was some fear there. Come on, man. This is a man-eating lion. He didn't just walk down there like, oh, man, this ain't going to be nothing. No, he was like, man, listen, he probably counted the cost and the risk, but he was like, that's not going to hinder me from chasing this lion. I'm going to defy the odds. I'm going to risk looking foolish because I'm sure he might have slipped going down into that pit because it was snowing. 
and I'm going to face this fear. We have to begin to reframe our problems and start seeing the opportunities or the solutions in them. We have to embrace uncertainty. Meaning that he didn't know what was going to happen when he went down that pit. Because it might have been the line that crawled back up out of that pit and not him and he was there left dead. But we had to be willing to embrace the uncertainty of it. Got to be willing to embrace that. Had an opportunity before I got up here to talk to your pastor. And man, I, the, the, the brothers from Birmingham, Alabama, right, which he's an SEC guy, which I love, right? I know we probably got a lot of old state people, but it's okay. I'm going to pray for y'all. Okay. SEC's where it's at. Lived out in California, came here. He's been a pastor for seven years, he told me. But I'm sure that came with some uncertainty. That wasn't a thing where he was coming here and everything was right and he was all positive and it's all going to work out. No, there was some uncertainty attached with that. But that didn't hinder him from chasing that lion. Why? Because this is where the line of Judah is. This is where God is calling me into. We got to develop the skill of being able to take risk. We got to take a risk, man. We can't be afraid to take risk in life. We can't be afraid to come here on a Saturday morning and have breakfast and have fellowship and take the risk of maybe hearing something that may be convicting. Not condemning, but convicting. It's a risk. When you get married, right? I got married. Um, I met my wife in November. I proposed to her in December and I got married in April of the next year. That was a risk. I took a risk, right? Absolutely. Don't tell her that, though. <laughs> Absolutely. We both took a risk, right? But we were both chasing a lion. Because why? This is where God would lead us into. I had a dream and God told me that was my wife. And I said, OK, Lord, I'm going to trust you. It ain't necessarily what I want. But see, God gave me what I needed. He gave me what I needed. That woman saved my life a month ago. Maybe if I'd have married what I wanted, maybe I ain't up here before you right now. Maybe I just keep going off to sleep and I go to glory. And the last, the last skill that we have to develop is we got to be able to seize opportunities. We got to seize opportunities. We got to seize these moments. We got to seize it. We got to take it. One thing I love, man, I'm seeing brothers here, man, and I believe you guys have your children with you, man. Seize that moment because they keep growing. And they keep eating your food and they're going to keep asking you for money, man. But seize that moment. We got to be willing to seize these moments together, man, as the body of Christ, as brothers and as sisters in the faith. We got to seize these opportunities that we have to not look at it from a standpoint of, man, I wish it was better. Maybe you're called to be the better in that moment. And that's the lion that we have to be chasing. Almost two years ago. Somebody asked me about this organization called Love Akron. It, and at that time, it was called the Love Akron Network. I'd been to the breakfast a couple of times where they get over 600 people on uh, very early in the morning to come out and to hear about an organization and to fundraise. And when somebody approached me, the, my predecessor said, hey, what, would you ever consider coming on and being the executive director of Love Akron? I said, well, I, you know, I don't know. I've had nice things said to me before, and I kind of blew it off, and I dismissed it. I'm going to be honest with you. I did. Um, and then it was one of those things where, you know, you go through the process and then they make you an offer. And I really, I'm going to be honest with you, I really didn't want the job. I really didn't. I was good doing what I was doing. I was, um, 
I was, I was an executive at a mental health organization in Akron. I was cool. I'd been there 11 years. Yada, yada, yada. I didn't want to deal with this because I knew it was going to be some work to get this organization back lifted up. I, it's just going to be some work. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. And so my thought was, and I had a plan, and I, I'm sure this is not none, any of you all, but I had a plan. I said, if they offer me the job, well, I'm not, I'm not going to take that job if it's not going to allow me to coach football. I just won't take it. And so my predecessor says, oh, man, there's no way you're going to be able to coach and do this job. And I was like, challenge, right? And so I knew going in, when they, when they made me the offer, I was like, hey, listen, I just want to tell you, I just want to ask you this. I said, do you want me, Kent Boyd, and who I am, or do you want to turn me into who you want me to be? And they were kind of like, what do you mean? I said, man, I coach ball. And I said, I've been coaching young men man, since I was 18 years old. And I said, the last thing that they need to see is another male walk out of their life. And I said, if, if I gotta take this job and stop coaching, then you can keep your job. And they was like, no, man, that's one of the reasons why we love you, man. We want you to keep coaching. And I was like, darn, I thought I was out. I thought I was out. And so lo and behold, I go into Love Acker, we begin to make some changes, some shifts. Um, we go from being the Love Akron Network to just saying Love Akron. And the reason why is I said, man, the Love Akron Network sounds like a noun. It sounds like a building. And I said, how do we go from being a noun to a verb is we take the the and the network off and we just love Akron. That's what we do. And so we said, how are we going to do this? Well, man, we got to work hard to really unify the colors, cultures, and congregations so that greater Akron can thrive. That's our being statement. How do we do that? What's our mission? How do we go about doing that? Well, man, we gotta connect, we gotta convene, we gotta collaborate with change makers so that we all can make a collective impact. Cause see, hey, it's not about Love Akron, just like it's not about me. It's about what does he wanna do? And right now a lion that we're chasing in Love Akron is we wanna just be one city. Because see, when God spoke, he just simply spoke to the church of that city. And we're talking about the Big C Church. But what we've done is we've gotten so siloed off into our individual churches to where, man, we don't even know what the right hand is doing. Like Pat said, man, we don't even know if there's a right hand in the body of Christ because we just think it's all about us and our church and what we're doing. But man, God is so much more bigger than that. But I'm going to tell you, in my life, I've limited him because I stopped chasing the lion. I stopped seizing some of these opportunities. I stopped recognizing them as ways that, man, I can expand the kingdom of God here on earth and see these things as ministries. So in my closing, I, wanna, I want you to go away with this question, and you can add this question to the two that Chris gave you this morning. You individually, what lions are you running from that you should be chasing? What lions are you running from that you should be chasing? Now, that can be you individually. That can be you all as a church. Man, what lions are we, are we running from that we should be chasing? Because after you chase after those lions, this is what I know and believe. You are chasing after Jesus because he's going to meet you in those places. He's going to meet you in those difficulties. He's going to meet you in those opportunities that, that are disguised as problems. He's going to meet you right there. Brothers, thank you so much for your time, man. I could keep going, but I won't because I see Chris looking at me, so I'm going to stop. Um, 
But I just, just appreciate the opportunity to come in and meet more brothers, man, and just fellowship with you. Thanks so much for having me. If you need anything for me personally, from our organization, please, pastor has my contact information. Please just reach out, all right? Thank you all so much, man. God bless you. Praise God, man. Appreciate you.